You're listening to Hawk Talk with former Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. At the 10-yard line, second and eight. Three wide receivers now in motion as Bumpus left to right. Julius Jones with single setback. Matt Pump fakes, looking to the goal line. He throws it into the end zone. Touchdown, Seahawks! It's Michael Bumpus with a diving catch in the end zone. A 10-yard touchdown reception for Bumpus, and the kid out of Washington State has found himself a place on this team. Powered by Seahawks.com. Matt has time. He's going to let it fly deep. He's got a man wide open. It's Ben Odomani who makes the catch. He's across midfield 40. He's going to go all the way. They're not going to touch him. 10, 5, touchdown Seahawks. And that's how you get back in the game in a great big hurry. The Seahawks now need two scores. Ben Obamano with an 87-yard catch and run. What's up, folks? This is Michael Bumpus, and you're listening to Hawk Talk Throwback Thursday. Today I got a Seahawk legend, Ben Obamano. We called him Obo. Let me give you a little history about this man. In 2010, he had his best game, five receptions, 159 yards, and a touchdown. Six-year NFL career, five with the Seattle Seahawks, one with the New York Jets. Ben Obomanu. We call him Obo. How you doing today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's a good morning here in Seattle. Glad to be here on, on the uh, on the show with you today. So good to kind of catch up with an old teammate, too. Yeah, nice to connect again. Obo was one of the first dudes I met. He was a receiver. Um, obviously, I played receiver as well. We had a nice little group. It was me, you, CT, Nate Burleson, Dion Branch was there. Um, Logan Payne was there. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a, a tight-knit group, so I want to say thank you to y'all for embracing the undrafted free agent. And y'all, y'all didn't treat me no different. No. I, was, I was a part of the squad. Yeah, I was about to say, we were glad. Hey, those were the days. That was some, you know, a fun time. I still was young, too, so it's kind of like I felt I was in the middle. I wasn't a, a, a vet yet, yeah. but at the same time, I wasn't a, a rookie either. So it was kind of good to be able to have that little mix in, in our meeting room and have such a variance of, you know, like you said, young guys, but some old, some OG veterans too, man, yeah. to kind of set the stage for us. Yeah, it was fun, man. So let's let's uh, let the people get to know you a little bit. So you're from Selma, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Make the move to Seattle. What was that whole transition like? It was exciting, and it was, and it was you know, a little, little nervous at the same time. I tell you this, this is a joke I always tell people. When I first got drafted to Seattle, I was telling people down south in Alabama, uh-huh. you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, Seattle, going to Washington. They're like, okay, hey, when I come to D.C., I'm going uh, <laughs> to catch up with you. I was like, what you mean, D.C.? I was like, no, no, I'm going to Seattle. Yeah, Seattle, Washington. I was like, yeah, Seattle, Washington State. No, Seattle, Washington, D.C.? I was like, no, 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 let's get a map. Let's go back. I'm going way Pacific Northwest. So, you know, it was fun to be able to, to realize, like, that, you know, making it to the next level, getting drafted, coming to the Seattle Seahawks, especially coming off a Super Bowl win with, yeah. you know, veteran coach uh, and and Mike Holmgren and then having, you know, the perennial uh, uh, MVP and Sean Alexander on the team. So it was exciting, but at the same time it was kind of tough because I'm, you know, born and raised in Alabama, went yep. to college in Alabama, and my first time leaving the state was to come way to Seattle. Washington. That was your first time leaving the state? First time living outside of Alabama, man, was coming to Seattle. So and a long flight, too. Long flight. Uh, trying to figure out how to get there. My folks are still nervous. Like, all right, so how are we going to come and visit you? How are we going to make all this work? I'm like, well, we'll figure it out. So just just, just bear with me. I'm going to go and make this thing work. And, you know, years later, I'm still here. Still here. <laughs> That's what it does to you, man. I'm still yeah. here, too. I'm from Cali, and I came up in 04 for college, never left. So never it, left. it tends to do that for you. So I got a chance to play against Auburn. Um, yeah. You were gone already, sure but I, I think CT was still there. Yeah. And uh, y'all spanked us, man. It was uh, 2007. I think that's the year y'all won the national championship, uh, mm-hmm. 07. And um, I remember my first game in Alabama and the speed. Like, 
It was the oh, fastest yeah. team I'd ever seen. I get SC once a year, and they're fast, but yeah. it was a different type of speed. So with that speed and SEC, was it a big adjustment going to the NFL? Because I remember my jump, I thought the game was just so much faster. And, mm-hmm. and watching y'all play and the speed that y'all play, but I would think that that adjustment wasn't that yeah, as the, drastic the, as mine. The speed probably wasn't wasn't as drastic with me because, you know, like you just said, we playing against, um, you know, some of the bigger programs, uh, some of the, you know, SEC, ACC football. Yeah. Um, so at the same time, the speed wasn't an issue. But it was just the quickness of, of all the players. I think we both probably can agree to that. Yep. The linebackers were fast. Uh, you know, the DBs, that's, that split second was uh, a little bit faster than what I thought. Or the windows, you know, you're open yep. and the ball's not there. It's like, no, you weren't open. I'm like, I, I felt open. And then you go back and watch the tape. Like, no, you was open for a split second. So being on the same page with the quarterbacks, those things changed, I think, a little bit more. Especially during that time when we, when we were coming out, that's when, you know, the air raid offenses, the spread offenses were really, really kind of taking yeah. off. Now you see it more commonplace where everybody's throwing the ball. But for us as receivers, and for me as a receiver, especially coming to Seattle, it was more so trying to figure out, all right, the ball's coming out fast. That window is open for a quick second. You may not think you're open, but the quarterback thinks you are. Or yeah. vice versa, you might think you're wide open, but no, that's that's a safety <laughs> or linebacker like hanging around that middle of the field. So uh, just being aware of what your, my surroundings probably was the biggest uh, adjustment from college to football for me was, um, you know, everybody's smart. Everybody knows knows where they're going before they even get there. Yep. What was the playbook like for you? I remember I played in a similar offense as the one we played in in Seattle, but the language was different. So it took me like a cool week, week and a half to really feel like I understood what was going on. How was that adjustment for you as far as uh, the playbook and the language and stuff? So I had a big uh, a big jump start because I played in the West Coast offense in, in college. Mm-hmm. My first coordinator, my uh, freshman in college, was Bobby, Bobby Petrino. Yep. Uh, you know, Bobby Petrino, he was with the Jackson and Jaguars for a lot of years when they had their run with Mark Brunel. And since then, he's had some coaching stints with Louisville, um, you know, so in Arkansas. So he had he implemented as a as a freshman. And for my four years in college, we had that West Coast offense. So coming here to Seattle and having Mike Holmgren offense with the same kind of, a, you know, that, that X isolation on the side, that yeah. quick game, it wasn't an awful transition for me because I, I had already known it. So it was more so just picking up so much of a playbook from week to week. That was the biggest challenge, I think, knowing how – you know, people don't realize you see that thick playbook during the offseason, but it changes from uh, week to week depending yes, on your does. opponent, your audibles, your hot reads, your, your you know, the the, the, link, the language that you use in the huddle. All this stuff kept changing, and I think that was, for me, the biggest adjustment. Was, all right, well, I, I do know the West – I know the general principles of a West Coast offense, but to know that each week Hasselbeck, Holmgren, we're going to change the playbook and change something, and they can do it so quickly. And I was, the, you know, a little young guy trying to figure out, all right, so why, why? Why are we even changing in the first place? But they had been running the same system going back to Bill Walsh in the, you know, 49er days yep. that, you know, people know it. But how do you stay creative? And how do you make sure you're, you know, productive each week? So I don't know if people know this about you, but you were versatile, man. You play in the slot, then they put you on the outside. Where did you prefer a slot outside? And then what was your favorite route? I prefer outside. I prefer being outside because I, I, I I'm not a biggest receiver. But I'm not a smaller receiver yeah. either, right? So I try to be on the outside, have more room to kind of maneuver and get away from those linebackers yes. and the safeties <laughs> in the middle of the field. Like, put me on the on the outside. Well, it's just me, mono and mono with a cornerback, and I kind of know he knows, you know, he has a sideline for help. But at the same time, I also know where his help is coming from, from the inside, from the safety. Yep. So my best route that I, that I love and I always, you know, try to try to get the coach to, to put me in for was the corner route. When you get this chance to stem inside, you know, put some, put that cornerback in a, in a bond does he have and turn me over to the safety for uh, maybe, you know, some help or maybe even double coverage. Or I can break it off and go to the corner 
And next thing you know, he's, he's you know, the quarterback has a good window to throw it to. Throw it to the sideline. If I catch it, we're good. If it's overthrow, it's still okay, but he can throw it up and give me a chance to make a play. So I've always liked the corner route just because I get to be on the outside receiver for the most part. I get to stem in, create more room for that outside throw, and then at the same time get a good, good stick to the, to the post, come back to the corner, and at the same time, regardless of where, you know, if I'm open or not, the quarterback still has a chance to make, give me a chance to make a play. Yeah. So it's not a go route where everybody, you know, just loves to just run deep. It's a little maneuver in there. And at, at the same time, that was one of my favorite routes. Man, I used to want to play outside so bad. When I was in college, I wanted to get outside. I'm like, I can do it. When I got to the to the league, they put me outside a little bit. And I was like, man, it's fast out here. I'm going to just stick to the slot. <laughs> back to the slot. Where I use my quickness. And, when I, and I always once run the Dino route. Nate used to run the Dino route the so Dino. nice. Yeah. It's that it's like get to the top of the post, get like a corner. It's like a double move type look. Mm-hmm. I'm, I always wanted to run that route. You got to have sweet feet for that. Yeah, so that's, yeah. You're right. You got to have sweet feet for that. Now, you were there in Kirkland at that facility. I was I was there for uh for mini camp yep. and then we made the move to VMAC. I mean that I mean that was night and day. Like yeah. the facilities were crazy. I mean what was that transition like for you? Even before that, I was part of that last class who had training camp in Cheney, Washington. Oh, in Cheney. So I went to Cheney and I can tell you going back to your previous question about, you know, making that jump. I'm coming from SEC football. I'm coming from, you know, training camp yes. being at, you know, your 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 dorm rooms and everything on campus and kind of being a a good um, you know, cafeteria. Then we go to Cheney, and it's hot in Western Washington. It's cornfields. <laughs> that it's dry like heat, too. Fields, dry heat. I'm like, all right, I'm from Alabama, but this is different. Yeah. This is different. And then when we came back, going back to our practice facility, we're like, all right, now we're in, in Kirkland um, at our facility up there. And I was like, all right, this is this is okay. Uh-huh. This is it's still, it's still okay. It's still NFL. We'll make it work. And then all of a sudden, like you said, a couple of years later, my third year, we start, they started talking about building a practice facility in, in Renton, the VMAC. Uh, and that was kind of great for me to be able to be a, a young player, to know that we had all these veteran players. They were establishing themselves um, as a you know a perennial powerhouse in the NFC West, coming off that Super Bowl run back in 2005. To be able to go back and have that, that little piece of pride of, yeah, I was part of picking yeah. out my locker. I, this is my <laughs> first locker. I was the first person to to use these plugs sit on this bench to see how things were built from the ground up. I think we took a couple tours when I was still playing. So that was kind of fun to be able to say, all right, now this is what I'm talking about. Going back to, you know, NFL, uh, being a, you know, an NFL player in a big-time organization, the VMAC would kind of epitomize everything that I think the Seahawks wanted, and I think it was a, a great jump, especially coming from our facilities in, in Kirkland. Yeah, for sure. So I remember my first game, I'll never forget, it was against the 49ers. Um, I saw Rossum was out there. Guys I used to play – you know, on Madden Wit. And it was surreal to me. Like, pregame, I'm sitting there, and I'm taking it all in. I'm looking around. It was CenturyLink at the time. I'm looking around. I'm like, damn, I made it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first game in that in that moment where you're like, damn, I arrived. It's time to go. We played the Dallas Cow- the Dallas Cowboys. I was always a T.O. fan. Mm-hmm. You know, T.O.'s from Alabama, hometown guy, home state guy. Um, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys, the, the star we went to to the Cowboys Stadium, and I think this is one of the first years they had uh, Jamesboro was, was first built. Mm-hmm. That's when I really, really realized, you know, the home games in Seattle were always great and always a chance to be able to, to be excited about you know, playing in the field. But when I got a chance to play and see a guy who I always looked up to, always wanted to pattern my game after after and T.O. and being in, in Cowboys Stadium, Jamesboro, all the hype of, of that place getting built. My family got a chance to come in town. I had yeah. probably more family than I had ever had because, you know, it's kind of tough to get everybody out to Seattle. But I got early, I got a lot of people out to Dallas. That was kind of one of those defining moments for me where this is it. I made it. I'm in the NFL. And I'm playing not only on the stage of uh, with, with my peers, but also some of the same people like you talked about that I, you know, played Madden 
played with on a Madden football game just a couple of years earlier. Now I'm actually on the same field with some of the same kind of talent. So what what I struggle with, they used to put us on special teams. We're receivers, right? Oh yeah. I man, I haven't tackled anybody since high school. <laughs> they used to put us on kickoff, on punt cover, and ask us to go down there and make tackles. I'm like, well, I haven't done this in a while, but you seem to excel at it. Mm-hmm. What do you think about your game allowed you to kind of get into that defensive mode after being a receiver all these times and go down and make yeah. plays? I played safety. Uh, and receiver coming up in high school. So I had some of the, you know, I always want to say I was a big hitter in college, in high school. <laughs> I probably wasn't, but, you know, in high school, you, you think you are. Yeah. I think for me it was more so understanding and, and being committed to, to being a tackler, right? I think that's one of the first things you have to do. You see anybody making an adjustment to a different position, um, to a different, you know, scheme or playbook, you have to want to. And I think I had to want to to be able to, to stay on the field. I learned early on, especially as my rookie year, when I came and I was playing uh, for a team that had come off the Super Bowl, and I knew Mike Holmgren was the type of coach, veteran coach. He wanted veteran guys. He, he explicitly told all of us our rookie year um, back in 2006 that he wanted the same guys that took him to the Super Bowl. He's going to win with those same guys. So yeah. for a young guy to try to crack the field, it was, all right, you better learn how to tackle. You better learn how to catch a kick, you know, return kicks. You better do whatever you can to be able to stay on the field. So for me, I just started paying more attention, started trying to, you know, watch some film, most of the time when, when receivers are watching film on, on, you know, Jerry Rice and trying to get better, I start watching, like, Marcus Trufant. I start watching some of the defense guys yeah. and start saying, all right, how are you making a tackle? What are you looking for? Are you reading hips? Are you reading angles? Mm-hmm. How do you – when you're running full speed, how do you know when to break down and start gathering yourself for the tackle? So that, so that most importantly, I can find a way to stay on the team and get on the field too. Yep. And I think that's what I – you know, I talk about a lot with young guys even today, right? If you want to play and, and, and stay on the team, and, and for me, having that luxury of playing on the Seahawks for – from 2006 all the way up into 2012, part of that had to do with me figuring out and trying to learn ways to, to get on the field. So it was a want-to first, but then it was also like taking an extra step and saying, all right, let me watch some film on guys who had done it before, some other you know guys that were making tackles that were, that were DBs. See, that's where I messed up. I was like, man, I ain't going to tackle nobody. They got me down here trying to tackle dudes. I'm like, I'm a returner, coach. Put me back. Put the ball in my hands. See, I would, if I would have took that approach, I might have played at least one or two more years. Listen, you, know you got, mean? it was your way to kind of finally <laughs> get that anxiety and that stress out. That's, yeah. that's how I looked at it, too. I was like, uh-huh. all right, if they won't give me the ball, if I felt like I you know, had worked hard all week and I wanted to uh, catch a pass, a couple plays in the game, and they say, no, nah, you know, well, so-and-so, he's, he's healthy. He's going he's gonna to give it a go. And I had practice all week. It was like, all right, well, you know what? That returner, man, somebody got to get it. The, the the DBs trying to cover me on Gunner, hey, they hold every single play. Every play. I'm going. This is my chance to get them back. So that was my <laughs> way of trying to make sure that I still have fun in the game yeah. and take that first, take some of that frustration out on game day of, you know what, I'm probably not going to get, you know, maybe two or three passes this game, if at all. I'm probably going to get five or six, you know, offensive snaps. Well, I'm going to make the most of it and go try to, you know, make somebody pay on special teams. A lot of people talk about uh, Beast Quake. Right, oh yeah, the yeah. big play against uh, New Orleans, and when I watch that play, I look at the players around. Like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I played with him. I played with him. You were on the, field on the field when that went down. What was that whole thing like? Man, it was it was kind of cool. Same thing, you know. There's there's always stories in between the game, right? So yeah. in this particular play, uh, we had talked about, you know, especially with, with in Pete Carroll's offense, the way Pete Carroll's wired. And our offense at that point, he said, every play you're in the field, you, you're expecting to score. I want you guys to expect – we don't call a play just to call a play. Every play you should think to score. So this is one of those plays where, all right, we, we're going. We're trying to – you know, it's a playoff game. We're trying to not necessarily run a clock out, but we're trying to eat us some, some time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm blocking on the backside of the play. I get a chance to block uh, Roman Harper. Mm-hmm. I, I went to – we played against each other in high school for, for three years in high school. He went to Alabama, so we played each other, you know, for my four years in, in college. 
Um, so now I, I get a chance to block a guy who I've, I've known pretty much, man, for about 10, 15 years. So we're blocking on the back of the play. And I said, all right, hey, well, during the play, I say, well, you know Marshawn, man, finna just run his clock out. So you might as well. It's game <laughs> over. Game, I'm just telling you now. You know how – yeah, the conversations the people conversations don't know. don't know. That, that go, that goes DBs down. and receivers, do yeah. we block? Do they want to tackle? No. Nah. So we're over there, you know, kind of brother-in-law in a little bit having this conversation. And then all of a sudden we hear the crowd saying, oh. And so I say, uh-oh, something happening. <laughs> Marshawn being Marshawn. And he looks, he's like, hey, he's still going. He's still going. <laughs> he's still going. He takes off. So as a receiver, I got to take off because I'm like, hey, I'm not going to be on the field and let my guy be the one to make the, the, yeah. t- the shoestring tackle yep. on Marshawn yep. Lynch. So then next thing you know, we start running towards the play. Next thing you know, it was kind of a, a double thing. Coaches probably wouldn't like it. I'm watching, but I'm also blocking, but I'm also watching because yeah. I want to see this old Marshawn thing too. So I, I, the crowd, people don't know 12 man, the crowd, we feed off of everything you do. And so in that particular play, it was started off just, you know, a regular routine play, but it was as the crowd kept going. And, I you know, I, I took a peek. Roman Harper took a peek. Next thing you know, we got on our horses and we started trying to make a play too. So it was good to be a part of that because it was, like you said, the people on the field at that point in time, uh, the play itself is, is one of the iconic plays in Seahawks history. And for it to happen with a guy like Marshawn, man, one of my one of my good teammates, man, glad it happened. Turn and handle Lynch, left side. Finds a little bit of a hole, keeps his legs moving. He's across the 40, midfield, 45, he's on the run, Lynch. 40, pushes him at 35, look at him go. He's down to the 20, 15, he's going to go. He is going to go. Touchdown, Seahawks. Oh, my word. A 67-yard run, Marshawn Lynch, unbelievable. See, I got I got two buddies, right? I got you, who was part of one of the biggest plays in Seahawk history, and I got my boy Rab, who caught the hook and lateral Boise State against Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. So I'll be rapping for y'all, like, yeah, man, my boy was in on that play, my boy was in on the yeah, other play. Yeah. So for you guys to be a part of just such big moments, like, you're going to live forever. Whenever they see that play, they're going to see 87 Obamanu in the end zone celebrating win. So uh, that's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. So you've had opportunity. You played for three coaches in Seattle, right? And you yeah. had Mike, you had Jim, and you had Pete for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Every coach is different, right? Was it was it tough adjusting to each style or was it just business as usual? Oh, it was tough. It was tough. You think about it too. And I, I used to tell people all the time, man, about, you know, how do you have longevity? How do you create value for yourself and playing from different coaches? You know, most of the time, when, when you hear about a coaching change, people don't understand it from a, from a receiver or a player standpoint. As soon as you get that, you know, highlight on the bottom of, of the sports ticker that says, you know, coach has been fired or a new coach has been hired, yeah. immediately that goes through everybody's mind from, you know, the staff and the organization all the way down to, you know, the field equipment guys is, all right, turnover. Is that new coach that, or this new regime want to uh, come in and clean house and bring in their guys, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you become a part of their guy? How, how do you be their guy as well? So for me, it was it was a tough adjustment because there were there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, talking with your agent, talking with other other uh, teammates, who's going to come, who's going to stay. Uh, you know, what are they looking for in a player? For me, it was it was, uh, it was important for me to be able to still maintain those relationships throughout the organization. So I think I prided myself on you know having good relationships with staff. Yes. You know, from cafeteria workers, from you know the equipment staff, our trainers. Some of those people are key 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 parts in the way this whole show runs. And when you have a good relationship with them. They kind of speak volumes because that's those are the first impressions, not necessarily your game feel. Yeah, it's sometimes just hey, what kind of guy's been? And I think I set a good stage, uh, set a good precedent for myself of being hard worker, good guy. You know, everybody likes him. Like, no, you should keep him. You should at least meet him. You should yeah. at least keep him around for right. a while. Give him a, sh- give him a chance. Yeah, give him a chance. Yeah. And so from there, I think the biggest thing, like you talked about, the adjustment from coaching staffs. 
uh, is being able to show that you can adjust to their their style of play, their play with what they're looking for. And I think that's where I, I excel. When you think about the transition from uh, Mike Conrad was me being a young player, trying to come in, learn the system, show that I'm, you know, coachable, and trying to show that, hey, I'm, I can be uh, a part of, uh, of the Seahawks going forward when that time comes. Yeah. When we got Jim Moore, Jim Moore, a, you know, had been on the staff. The, the good part is he was a defense coordinator, you know, mm-hmm. for a year before he became the head coach. So same thing, being in those meetings, asking Jim Moore, I, I'm trying to make a tackle. What do you, how are you coaching your DBs to make tackles? That relationship – carried over to when he became the head coach. No, I know Ben. I know what kind of guy he is. He sticks around. He's going to stay. He's going to earn a spot in the team. And then same thing when Pete Carroll came along, it was knowing he loves competition. Well, he had no t- same thing on the field. Like, no, Ben's been competing since he's been here. Ben, you know, going back, looking at film, he think, I think him and uh, Snyder did a really good job of looking at film, trying to glean the most they could out of the players and seeing, you know, what type of players, what kind of development they had over the couple of years. And they saw – that Ben was always competing. Did he get a shot to, to play and get a lot of snaps at receiver? Not necessarily, yeah. but he's been competing and working his behind off since we since he's been here since that we've seen on film. So I think in those in those uh, you know coaching changes for me, it was tough because you don't that uncertainty makes it difficult. But at the same time, I think I did a really good job of making sure that my character, my personality, my work ethic kind of shine through um, just through the organization and by what took place on film. So you worked hard, um, blue collar guy build great relationships, and now it's towards the end of your career. Did you kind of feel like, okay, this is coming to an end, and once you got that feeling, what was your plan after football? You never know, right, about the end of the game when, when the end of the line is going to come. Man, coming in, as you talked about, as a seven-round draft pick, you as, as an undrafted free agent, the odds are already against us anyway, right? So we try to tell kids all the time about, you know, the odds of making it in the NFL are – you know, less than, than 1%. And if you yeah. do, your career is less than three years, right? So once you hit that three-year mark, what happens a lot of times in the NFL, guys start getting comfortable. Yeah. I made three years. Now, you know, that three years turns into I can play for 15. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, 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 you might still <laughs> play for four. You might, you might play for five. Like, yeah. you just add – you go year by year. So for me, I always said I had wanted to be a lawyer, right? Um, Growing up in, in the family in the South, education was always big. I said – and they always used to ask me, too, as a little kid – you know, you can you can say athlete, you can say entertainer. My, my grandfather used to always say, choose a real career. Yeah. Like, don't come with those, you know, uh, lofty dreams of being a professional athlete. You choose a real career. So I wanted to be a lawyer. So every year that I got uh, that I was playing NFL was always a prep, uh, preparation in the offseason, um, job interviews or job shadowing, going back in the NBA. Like, I was always making those plans to that at, at one point and someday when it, when it ends, I can be ready for that next transition. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. So when I got to be 30, as most players, and you kind of see how, how the NFL works a little bit. Once you get up and start pushing 30, people don't think about the, you know, the economics of football. Uh, the league minimum for, for us as we continue to grow our careers, your minimum salary goes up. So at one point, I got to be 30. They could have got, gotten you know, two, two uh, young receivers for the price of Ben. Exactly. Those economic decisions are kind of creeping in. So that's, what, that's when I knew the career was kind of coming to, a, to an end because at that point, to pay a to pay a, a league minimum salary for a player going into his eighth ninth year, uh, you got to be able to to you know have some for, for, fortuitous uh, situations happen to you, but at the same time, you should also start repaying just in general because that you never know. So that's what happened to me. Yep. So then you went back to school, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You went to law school, man. I cannot imagine going back to school at thirty. I mean, I, I told myself when I was done, 
I'm done. I'm not going to go back to school. So I admire dudes who go back to school and further their education. What was that transition like? You go from, look, I'm playing on Sundays, got 60,000 screaming my my name, and now I'm in class Class. with a 24, 25-year-old, you know, sitting right next to me. Sitting right next to me. They used to call me the old man in law school. What's up, old man? I was married. Uh, my second year of law school, my wife and I had our first child, so that that made it worse. Like, oh, you you a family guy? You really married now? <laughs> really old guy? It was, but it was one of those things where you think about it too. In the NFL, which people don't necessarily think about when they watch the games on Sunday, we're in you know quote unquote class every day, uh, Monday yep. through Saturday. We're in the film room. We're studying. We have playbooks. We come in as people who come into you know tour. Uh, the practice facilities, you see pens, you see paper, you see notebook, you see projectors, uh, highlighters. So you're, in, a, you're in, a, in an educational environment every single day anyway. So for me, it was, it was kind of a, uh, two things where I had already been in this environment where I was studying. I you know, used to studying the playbook. You studying not just the offensive of playbook, but, you know, slot receiver, yep. uh, outside receiver, uh, special teams. I got to be on call just in case they want me to return punts or kicks. So I was always studying. Not only that, in the offseason, I was, you know, taking classes. I was trying to pick people's brains at – uh, some of the companies here in, in Seattle, Microsoft and and Boeing, trying to pick their brains and obviously. So my, I think mentally, I was probably more prepared for that transition into the classroom than a lot of other players because I was already you know uh, kind of building myself up to be a, a a a student again. But like you talked about the the legal field and trying to study cases was definitely a lot different than trying to learn a playbook and figure <laughs> out cover two versus cover four, right? So it was difficult, but at the same time, I just was glad that I had my my family to support me a little bit. The football foundation of studying helped a lot, but it was one of those things where I feel like you now. That was it. I'm not going back to school. That was my last <laughs> go around. I did it. I'm glad I, I made it through three years. But it was it was one of those things where I wanted to to stick to my plan of being a lawyer. And school was the only way that you know going back getting a legal education, getting a JD was the only way that was going to happen. So it was a not necessarily a, a, a you know have to, but it was a want to kind of thing. Yeah. So now you're a lawyer here in the Northwest. The Northwest does that to you. You get up here, you're going to stick around. Yeah. You know, there's something about the Northwest that keeps you here. How do you like your new lifestyle? I like it. You got to think about it, too. My wife is from Seattle. We had gotten married shortly after my uh, playing career was coming to an end, and I was trying to, forget to go to law school. People, we forgot about this part. I went to the University of Alabama for law school. An Auburn Tiger guy <laughs> goes back to the rival You got school. an Alabama, Alabama jersey somewhere or a sweater somewhere? You got I don't have anything in Alabama. <laughs> the whole three years I was there, hey, no Alabama attire. No Alabama sweatshirts, hoodies, <laughs> nothing. I was like, no, no, no. Did you wear Auburn stuff? Auburn stuff on top of that. So on campus? Went, on campus. Woo! My car had my Auburn tag. My apartment had Auburn stuff hanging out. So they, folks gave me a hard time. But it was it was also part of the deal, my wife being from Seattle, born and raised. Mm-hmm. If I take, she said, if I take her to Alabama for law school, I have to guarantee them coming back to Seattle afterwards. <laughs> so it was already in the, it was baked in the cake. All right, well, yeah. I can go to law school. I can go down here and, and kind of make a name for myself. Receivers, we, we're you know we're divas a lot. Yeah. So I, I wanted to go back to the rival school, go back home, be at home with family and friends. Auburn doesn't have a law school, but it's also a chance to kind of get my name out there, kind of stir the pot a little bit. The yep. former Auburn Tiger guy going back to Alabama to law school. My wife was was quick to remind me when those three years over with. We're Go coming on. right back we to Seattle. So it's, been, so it's been great to be able to go back and, and have an education, have a legal career, but also come back as a former Seattle Seahawks man. The Seahawks, the organization, the 12s, they've done a really good job of making you still feel, feel at home. Like, you know, a lot of players struggle with that identity of not being a football player, not being able to identify and see themselves on the field or see mm-hmm. themselves on the side of the stadium or have people say, great game. Yep. The Seahawks in the city of Seattle, 
have done a really good job of making it, making us former players still feel part of the NFL, part of the organization. Also, you know, they know our names, they know our faces. So it's been great to be able to redefine myself, not just as being the former Seahawk, but being the attorney as well. So it's been good being a real estate lawyer here in Seattle. Ben Obomanu went to Auburn, drafted seventh round, had six years in the league, three coaches, successful career afterwards, went to law school to, at the rival, Alabama. Didn't wear any Alabama gear, but he uh, did rep Auburn on campus. Man, I appreciate you coming in, yeah. taking time, and hollering at your boy. Hey, let's do this again, maybe not on, on, on mics and stuff, and just kick it one time. Kicking it. I'm with you. I'm All with right, you. man. Thank you. Hey, that's been Hawk Talk. I'm your host, Michael Bumpers. This is Hawk Talk Throwback Thursday. You listen to Ben Obamanu. Check us out. Holler at you next time. <laughs>